The I Am Independent podcast with Loretta and Bianca. Stories, advice and discussions to resource, encourage and support independent music artists. Well, on the podcast this week, we have a chat to Pyramid Park, uh, who is Pete McCallan, a friend of mine and an incredible independent artist. As you know, we love to resource you, give you tips and advice, but one of the most powerful things we found we can share with you is the stories and experience of other independent artists who have gone before, those who are brave enough, vulnerable enough to share their struggles, uh, their failings even, as well as the victories, and that is exactly what Pete does with us today. He has an album out on the 24th of April, really looking forward to that. Please do look him up and support his music. He's been so open with us about his journey the highs and the lows and he definitely has gone from strength to strength and learned a lot he's an artist who really understands how much an independent artist needs to know the business as well as balancing that with creativity of course i think you're going to find this chat so insightful so helpful and so encouraging so enjoy Welcome to the I Am Independent podcast. Now, uh, usually the lovely Bianca is here with me, but she's not. It's the first one I've done on my own because we have been wanting to speak to our guest for a while uh, and it just didn't work out for us all to be here. So I'm afraid you've just got me, but it doesn't matter because I know you're going to really enjoy hearing from our guest uh, today. Um, I've known him for some time. Uh, Many of you who listen uh, might know uh, that I've got a history of a radio show that supports independent artists. Uh, on a UK station and uh, my guest today Pete McCallan um, has been on uh, that show many times so I've known him pretty much from the start of his journey uh, again if you listen to this podcast the same if you listen to my radio show I always always go on about a, a key for independent artists being persistent consistent and excellent I can hand on heart say that Pete is all of those things he's got new music coming out but he also um, uh, two years ago went yeah. uh, Took the, took the step to go independent yeah. so he's we've got a lot to learn from him he's learned a lot as well and I love chatting to him as well his artist name he goes by the name of Pyramid Park uh, and uh, yeah just really looking forward to you uh, to gleaning some some stories and some advice for him. So welcome to the show, Pete. Thanks, Thanks for being so here. much for having me here. I really appreciate it. I'm excited. I love your podcast, by the way. I actually do Thank listen you. to it. So Thank you. It's an honour to be on here. That's a really big compliment because I think we can always wonder whether we're actually um, scratching artists where they itch. So I, I love it when artists do listen. Great. Um, Bianca is genuinely sad to not be here because she... I'm sad not to see her <laughs> as well. I know, but I'm sure she will listen. She'll be part of the editing process as well. Uh, Pete, I've been wanting to get you on this for a while because... We always love our chats when you've been on my unsigned show. Yeah. And um, uh, like I said recently, we, we probably chat more off air than we, than do. we do on air. We really do. Um, and it's been a privilege to see your journey. I've seen you grow from a, a, a solo artist into a singer-songwriter who's independent and out there touring internationally, yeah. um, releasing albums, doing your own PR, having strategy, going from someone who just put music out to actually somebody who's got structure and business so there's so much I want to talk to you about and I know uh, we spoke before you even took that step to go full-time and I know I that was quite it. an agonizing yeah. decision yeah. Um, so before we get to all of that if we go back to the beginning how did you start in music how did you uh, begin to know that you even wanted to, to be an artist 
I probably, I, I played music growing up, violin, guitar, picked up guitar, started singing quite badly, um, <laughs> and generally just involved in the church scene locally where I was living in Norfolk. So it was a place where there wasn't a lot going on, so you either kind of um, did something naughty or did something constructive, <laughs> and I chose the latter, thankfully, um, and, well, most of the time. And so, yeah, I I really just loved music. I loved singing songs on the edge of my bed as a teenager and somehow connecting the spiritual to the natural um, right. and for me then I realised that oh maybe I should have a go at writing a song so I tried at 16 um, wrote a song that a few people liked then tried to write another one that people would like and they were all bad for about two years um, and then a, a friend of mine just came did along did you think they were bad or did people say to you they were bad um, they didn't say anything which probably means they weren't <laughs> that great <laughs> um, a friend of mine just came to me and he pointed at an album of an artist that I liked and he said one day you're going to write one of these and I'm like no I think it's my time is done and he just kept saying it to me like every week um, for about six months you're going to write one of these one day and then one day I just was like right I'm going to write some songs again and that was that was really the start of the artist's journey. My oh. first ever gig as an artist was supporting a funk band in a pub gig. And I just contacted them and said, can I um, be your support act? I know you don't normally have this. I know it's a function gig, but can I play some of my originals before your main sets? And they were really good about it. They were called the Funky Monks. Um, <laughs> and they're actually a really good funk band. Um, I really like their stuff. And they had me in for an audition, checked me out and... Uh, I was beep awesome so that was great and uh, yeah it was it was just a really tough start you know you're just playing gigs where people don't want to know they just want a party and I wanted to play some of my deep emotional songs um, to them and you know a lot of heckling and stuff but it helped me to deal with crowd helped me to deal with like engaging people and just having a go yeah um, I always say there's two places that are a baptism of fire but learn how to do live the, the best and that's either performing in schools or in pubs yeah I did both <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, you, and wow. you just you know it's painful because yeah. you know when you're not good and they even if you are you. good they will, they'll tell you that yeah. you're not um, like I remember this one guy he was heckling at me all the way through my set and um, big dude who was just sitting there and just horrible stuff he was saying and then at the end I went up to him and I just thought right I'm going to talk to him and he just said you were brilliant I loved it. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> you were just like abusing me no. on stage. And he was like, yeah, sorry about that. Wow. Yeah. So <gasps> that you just don't know, do you sometimes? Yeah, you really don't. So obviously you learned a lot about performing live then. Um, and I guess you started to get feedback about your songs. Um, just tell us about that time before you decided uh, that you were going to quit your job and go uh, full time on it. What was, what was that like? What were some of the lessons that you learn and experiences you had, like this isn't working and what also it made you think, this is what I need to do and, and I'm gonna go for this. Yeah, so I I probably had a go at this thing a few times over and failed a few times over. Um, I had lots of part-time jobs which helped, which were good jobs, but they I didn't really... Was that my... intentionally part-time? Yeah, right. yeah, I wanted to do music. Um, I didn't have the courage to do it full-time, so I just would work and do two and a half days three days a week and then do music the rest of the time but the problem was I didn't really have a strategy in place and I didn't really have a plan my brand was very ad hoc um, my content was very ad hoc um, I didn't like social media um, all these things I was very shy about sharing my stuff and, and you know you, you, 
it's very easy to be insecure as an artist. Um, we are all probably insecure as artists because we access that emotional side of ourselves probably more so than others would do. And, and that's important that we are able to access that to write great music. Mm. Um, so I tried and failed a few times. I think one of the things I regret the most was spending too much time trying to play as many gigs as possible um, because I was playing the same gigs all the time so there were certain gigs that just people weren't either listening or I wasn't selling anything um, and I'd have like an EP or two available um, and this is a time when people would still buy CDs um, and I just realized when I played a gig where people bought music from me I knew that was the kind of gig I needed to repeat um, so actually gigs like open mic nights were a no-go for me um uh, so you have to play open mic nights to start it serves with. a purpose yeah but there comes a point where you have to say actually this kind of gig the kind of pub gig wasn't going to happen for me and some of the coffee shop gigs i just felt like were where, where people were just talking and not listening for me that was a no-go i didn't mind people talking in a pub gig because i knew that was the environment i was going into but i either wanted people to listen to me and respect me as an artist or um, to not necessarily be listening attentively, but I was going to make some sales at the end of it. Yeah. Um, or it was going to be just a great experience supporting someone. And they were kind of the three categories I went for. And um, I wish I'd turned down some gigs earlier. Never believe when people say, oh, it'll be great exposure for you, that it will be great exposure for you because normally they're just trying to fill their bill um, and you're serving them. They're lining their pockets um, with money that should actually be going to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's all great advice because I think, and it's it's about being real with what stage you're at, yeah. isn't it? Because there'll be some people like, I'm sorry, you you need to do a few more open mics. Like you need that. Absolutely. You need to have the person heckling you and yeah. experience that. But it's knowing when you've graduated and then knowing your worth as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, in terms of realizing that you, you know, it sounds like you were quite intentional about. I now need this kind of gig. You also yeah. were like, I don't have any structure. What did you do then? How did you change your approach? How did you educate your, yourself? And what ratio would you now say is in terms of business and, and music industry education yeah. to creativity? Yeah. Um, so a lot of people would say it's really important to have 50-50, 50% creative, 50% business. Um, in reality now, um, when I'm not recording or touring, it's 70-30. So 70% focus on the business, 30% on the creative but business can be creative so I think that is an ever-changing thing um, I realized probably four years ago I was releasing an album under my own name before Pyramid Park um, and I realized I needed to give it a bit more time to think strategically about release and um, singles video all that kind of stuff um, socials how was that gonna really come across what was my message what was my story um, and so I spent a day a week, I was working full time at the time, and I spent a day a week um, extra working on music. And it was at like, n at nine, I'll start work on this, at six, I'll finish, you know. And I just poured myself into education, reading loads of free stuff. Um, I, at the time I was distributing through CD Baby, so, um, which I'm not anymore, and um, they had loads of articles available and lots of videos and their conferences, um, so I started watching those and connecting with what they were doing. Um, and I actually enjoyed it, a lot of it. I found right. it interesting. Um, I kind of say what I do now to people who, who don't have a clue about what I do, which is most people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I say I run a very small record label with only one artist and the artist is me. Um, and that's the approach I've taken. I'm running a Great. label um, and 
that's but I'm also the artist yeah and that kind of mindset for me really helps because then I'm going to work um, today is PR day today is bookings day today is um, just like I'm going to spend two hours on emails you know hacking away at something today's design day or whatever you know today's songwriting day um, but you have a real focus of actually these are the you're always juggling and you're going to drop something every day but make sure it's not the same thing you drop every day right that's kind of my ethos I, I love that and I know because we've spoken before that you're actually quite disciplined about your day and your time and I, I, I really believe that that's been a huge part of your success just tell me a bit about how you structure your your yeah. time and approach so um I'm I'm married I've got a daughter who's three years old at the time of recording and um so I look after her uh half a day a week on my own and um, but I also drop her off to preschool and pick her up from preschool, take her to my mum's, things like that. So my days are bitty sometimes, but I generally have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday plus Thursday morning as my working days. I, I like to work nine till six um, and then weekends or other times depending on what gigs are available. So, um, for example, the last month I've been doing a house gig tour in January um, and I've been away Friday, Saturday. and whenever I'm away however far away it is if I've got my laptop with me I'll be working because I just really know that family time is important when I'm at home try and switch off the reality is you don't um, most <laughs> of the time there's and always a tab op open in your mind <laughs> yeah. back in your mind <laughs> so but and, and I genuinely I enjoy the business side of things when it comes to kind of the creative more creative elements of business mm -hmm. um, so I don't mind doing a bit of that, but home when I'm at home, I want to be at home. Yeah. Um, I have a workspace which is attached to a house, so um, it's away from the home, which is great as well. Yeah, and that helps, that me helps keep doesn't it? Keep it and I, I walk in and I close the world off, and I'm in, and I'm and I'm. I really love working hard. I know it sounds silly. Um, I enjoy having fun, but I love. I do enjoy working, and once I get my head into it, I'm just. I'm in my my element really. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you talked to me about um, the concept of um, batch writing and you told me that for your current project, which we're talking about is coming out in the spring, yeah, yeah. you wrote 50 songs. Yeah. I love that because I think so many people, when they say I'm writing my album, they're trying to write 10 songs. Yeah. Um, just tell me about why you do that, how you do it and just, yeah, a bit more about that. Yeah, so I think um, a lot of people would advise that you should write all, all day every day to get better as a writer and I agree with that 100% but the reality is you do go through seasons where you, when you're an indie you just cannot do that um, you, it's just not practical if you're writing recording an album you're not writing songs that's a month you know out so I like to have three months of heavy writing where I'm writing every day um, the, pr the focus is either creating or editing so um, at the start of an album project it's all about just creating a load of songs and maybe try and write seven songs in a week and just write, 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 write and then you go back to them and go okay I've got this folder full of songs now I know half of them are going to be rubbish or I'm not going to like the style or they're for someone else um, and then there's probably going to be 50% that I can work with and then I start songwriting through editing um, and I think the editing songwriter is a very different approach to the creative just let's throw things at the wall and see what sticks you're really trying to see has this song got life where is the life in the song has enough of the song got life and you're hacking away at songs all the time um, and I love that 
time because it's like it's brutal but you're just like questioning everything you're about and as you go about it you get more and more confident about like your editing and just like that's not good enough that's not catchy enough that that's too rambled you know um and boiling it down to the core elements of the song so yeah I'm a big believer in having like sessions like that and then you start to I actually have folders so I will record everything on my phone and write it down write the lyrics down in the pad um, if it makes it out of the pad and off the phone then it goes into a folder then it goes into another folder and then it goes <laughs> into a final folder of like these are the 15 songs for the album and then wow. you whittle it down to 10 to 12. I guess with that process you're going to come out with 10 songs you love. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And rather than putting that pressure in that, oh, I've got seven, I need to write, you know, these four three more. Four more yeah, to make yeah. the album work. Exactly. And then you have four filler songs. Yeah. I hate listening to albums and you can tell it's filler because they're trying to produce an album every year or something, or it's a live recording they're doing every year. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think, oh man, it's there's two real killer songs and the rest is filler. Yeah. Um, that's, that really annoys me as an artist. I'd rather release a little less but the quality is there that's so insightful to hear your approach to that and I, I want to talk more about some of the techniques and things you've learned but I just want to go back to that that point when you decided to go full-time because it's a question we get asked a lot at I am independent about when should I go full-time as an artist um, and and uh, what's that like and how do you make it work um, and I know we we spoke before during and after mm, mm. Um, but just tell, tell me about how you came to make that decision and and what it's been like, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's not for the faint hearted. I'll just <laughs> say that before I say anything else. Um, making the decision was really hard. I got a recording that had been completed and during the recording process, it just felt like this was more than I'd ever done before and it required more of me. Um, I felt the songs said something that I'd never said before and the music was stronger. Um, and I just knew in my gut that there was a change coming. Um, I've been trying to do my job, which I loved, and this project on the side. And it was getting to the stage where I was pretty exhausted and I I couldn't carry on doing all things. I thought I could, but I couldn't. Um, and there wasn't an option to go part-time. Um, so for about a year and a half, I wrestled with it and just like how would this even look if it was possible like it's it's one thing to think about it and think but the reality is you don't know until you jump into it um and I remember making the decision um like I said I'm married and so I wanted my wife to be 100% in it otherwise you're in for a disaster <laughs> um and that was like my kind of thought was I'm not going to do it if she doesn't say yes and she didn't say yes for a long time and then one day we just... But she didn't say no. But she didn't say, yeah, well, <laughs> it wasn't no, really, wasn't it? <laughs> and so one day we had just a few things just line up where it was like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now because otherwise I'm going to miss the boat. And I think that was the, the biggest fear was, would I, would I die, regret, or get old, regret, and regret not doing it? And that was the ultimate thing. Right. I think... I'm called to do this and if and I've got no choice of going part time so I've got to just do it. Um wow. Yeah, it was really scary and really liberating all at the same time. Um I had been working for 3 years pretty much a day a week extra with my job on this project and on other stuff building up the business side. So I knew kind of what 
my work would look like okay. and where I needed to focus. Um, and then early on, I had a cycling accident where I smashed up my face and broke my front teeth, broke a few bones oh, in my hand, man. and had to cancel all my festivals that summer that I was <gasps> going to do. So everything that had been lined up just fell apart. And I was, I went into a, a bit, I wouldn't say I was like in depression and such, but I was just really, really flat and just like, I can't believe it. I didn't know that bit. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, wow. I was just, and then the album was due to be launched and I was still wearing a cast on my thumb when I was playing the album launch party and I couldn't play guitar properly. <laughs> so, um, but thankfully the album launch, and this, these are silly things, but like if you're ever releasing music, do a release party, even if it's to 50 people or 20 people, do something to mark the release because it's a way of you gaining a bit of momentum into the new season. Um, and for me, that just helped me just get a bit of momentum. Um, it wasn't the best gig that we'd ever done in the world, but it was something that I'd done since going independent. And then that helped me to kind of get started. Um, how's it been? Um, <laughs> like, honestly, I've you want to quit pretty much every week um, I'm not lying <laughs> um, I feel that you're being so honest about this but it's true like you have days when it's like the best thing in the world I walk into my little writing room slash office studio thing um, and I feel I love it I feel like at peace I feel happy I've made a decision um, and then I look at the bank balance I'm like flipping heck how are we going to get through this month um, my wife works which pays our, our mortgage I'm just being honest and a few of our bills I'm there to top it up we have seen um, people get behind me in ways that I wouldn't have expected. So I'm on things like Patreon, um, where so that's really helpful. If you're not on Patreon and you want to get monthly income, and you're, it's not about getting money from people. It's about providing a service, a, a subscription service to people who are like effectively going to be your super fans. And if you don't have super fans, um, don't go independent full time. That's my bit of advice. Great. Yeah. Right, that's really insightful. Just a quick reminder that we have a growing library of really useful videos on our YouTube page, including interviews with artists and music industry insiders sharing their experience and expertise. Search IMR on YouTube or visit our website www.iamindependent.co.uk. And I, I mean, I know that it has been scary for yeah. you. But I know that also last year you played 30 festivals. Uh, yeah, last two years. Last two years, uh, yeah. yeah. 30 festivals, so yeah. just tell us even about that, about literally, because I know that area to start with was a bit of an unknown. Yeah. And so I've got so many. Uh, tell us a bit about your approach to even getting those, playing them, but also what you've learned through playing 30 festivals. Yeah. Um, I think ego has to go out of the window, first of all, um, when you're playing live. You've just got to... At the start, you've just got to take what, what you're going to get. And then as time goes on, you can kind of pick and choose a little bit more. So I realized that the one way I was going to build my... I knew that we had a live show that was good and, you know, could be improved. But I knew it was it was good and it was going to be heartfelt. And I knew there were certain songs in the, the set that would people would connect with on a personal perspective. I've got a song about my dad who died when I was young. And I knew that song had power to connect with people. 
Um, and what's the easiest way to play to audiences without having to spend ages trying to find an audience is to play at festivals because they're already coming. You've just got to find a way to get on the, the lineup. So I did stacks of research. I mean, days and days, weeks and weeks of research of festivals in the UK. And then I was like, hang on a minute. Europe's just down the road. <laughs> I wonder if there's any festivals in like, I played a gig in Germany in like 2016 and it was one of my favorite festivals at that time. And I was like, why don't I go back to Germany? I wonder if there's something there. So I just f researched like crazy, got a spreadsheet of maybe 60 festivals um, in the UK and Europe that I thought my music would suit and just hammered away at contacting those people. You know, follow up, follow up again, I had a, a colour system of like how many times have I followed this person up, you know, <laughs> and keeping like really good notes on it. So not just the notes of like name, email, phone number, blah, 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 but also like this festival looks like it's um, a one-time festival for me. This is one that I'd like to build with. This is out of my reach at the moment, but I want to aim for this in two years' time. So you've got a kind of indicator of where you stand and just being really honest. And then um, thankfully some people booked me <laughs> and... And started to, and then I could say to people, "Hey, I've been booked for this, this, and this. I've got one date in the Netherlands. This and his. Would you be able to fit me in on your your lineup? You Great. know, and that's the way you, you you gradually go about it. Wow. Um, I mean, festival. I love festival. I love going mm, to festivals. And I love I love being at them as well. Um, but and it's a, a brilliant way to to hone your uh, live act. But yeah, also, I didn't answer that question, did I? Well, I was just going to come to that because. You see, you can sometimes see your project a certain way when you're in the studio, can't you? And even in a certain yeah. way when people are responding online. But it, the festival setting has a different life. What did you learn from that perspective? I think you soon find out which songs... Like, I, my most streamed song is a song called Lead Me. And yet that song dies every time we play it live. I've only once found it connect with people. People love it, but they it somehow loses its vibe live. So, and there's songs that I don't think I've probably, I, I think are my weakest songs on the album. And yet live, we can engage a crowd with it. It's so weird. So, And you only find that out by You only find that out, out by playing live. So you, you've, you make those things your features because live, in a, at a festival, you're trying to create memories for people. You're not trying to play all your songs to people. You're, it's about them. So what, how can you engage them? How can they remember you? So good. Um, and so I started doing this thing. I saw another artist doing this in a picture once. And I thought, that's excellent. I'm going to do it. Um, and so I started for the song that I knew would capture people. I just jumped off the stage, grabbed an acoustic guitar. All my other songs are on a different instrument. So, um, and just played that one song in a circle on the ground with the people. And that's when I knew I had something because no one else did that. And then other artists at the festival started to do that kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, rip off. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, I, so, yeah, you learn a way to engage people and you're reading. You're constantly like reading the, I was going to say the room, but it's often open air. Isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. But you're reading the crowd, like who's engaged with it? Why are they not engaged? What do I need to do wrong? How do we need to change the set on the fly? Um you know, what's working? Is my delivery working? Am I annoying them? Am I saying too much? I had a guy heckle me last summer. He's like, just get on with it because I love to chat. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, and that was just brilliant because that was actually great feedback. And since then, I, I've changed my set. So, like, no talk. No, and I write on it, don't talk. Don't talk. <laughs> talk about this, you know. So, yeah, you learn, don't you? And I know with your, your new album, which we will come to talk yeah. about, you even 
thought had festivals in mind as you absolutely signed that didn't you yeah we just had too many down tracks and not enough bangers really so i've really tried to write more upbeat stuff that i feel um are going to be great i not just openers because you i've got a good opener but like follow up from the opener tracks like you need three really great opening songs great lift in the middle and of course some killer tracks at the end and i feel now that i've got a little bit more repertoire um which is essential really um for playing an hour set Mm. you know you want a couple of albums worth of material to really play a great set yeah I love the lessons that you've learned because they're, they're so real and they're so valuable as well and it's interesting because we can either choose to get offended or we can go what can I learn from this can't we or yeah. choose for it to be and a disaster of, and never do it again or you change. do get offended don't you but <laughs> yeah. then it's what you do next yeah yeah exactly um, I wanted to speak to you as well about changing from Pete McAllen to Pyramid Park because yeah. I know that that again I loved your process in that it wasn't just um plucked out of the air and it was all to do with branding and all yeah. to do with you honing who you are as an artist so just tell us about that yeah so i kind of fell into calling myself by my name um as an artist which was fine i mean i've got a nice enough surname i guess but um really not <laughs> that interesting name and i i just did it for a while and i'd recorded this album vulnerability and a couple of people in the industry suggested some things to me I mean, the first thing they said to me was your album sounds like a band but you are calling yourself a singer songwriter um you really need to change your name and i'm like great i've just like spent all this time on artwork and I've, it's all ready to go and now i've got to rechange you know think about it finding a name that no one else has come up with was hard and so in the end i just landed on a shape and something that i felt would be um, a strong brand strong on merch what's going to stand out from the crowd and um, the whole pyramid thing is really I really liked and I just thought right let's let's go with a, a shape kind of thing and um, it's worked well because brand wise it's it's been so simple to to like come up with concept and merch particularly and you want you want to sell stuff that you're going to wear yourself yeah. so um, and I'm quite picky so you have great merch I'm very Thanks. grateful that you've given me a hoodie by the way but you I, I, again that's such an important part for the independent artist you you are an entrepreneur you've got your own business yeah and your own label so you know merch if that's neglected or done in a shoddy way not only are you missing a trick to earn some money but it also is creating the picture of who you are as an artist isn't it yeah and I think like people who spend hardly any money on t-shirts like how long is that person going to wear that t-shirt for they're going to wear your brand so and it's not just about having a name plastered everywhere, but it's just like, um, for me, you need probably five to 10 revenue streams to make it kind of work as an indie artist. And merch is always my kind of third biggest earner. Would you mind telling us what those other ones are for you? At the moment, yeah, so you've got royalties, um, you've got live. I mean, live generally is the biggest earner. Um, streaming, digital, um, merch, which I would put in as also CDs and vinyl as merch now and cassettes if you ever do that yeah. um, Patreon um, now I'm having to think about the other ones uh, I think that the, was five that was five that was my top five so. there's a few others yeah as well great and again all of these things you some of them you, you learnt beforehand through your research before doing this and some of them you've learnt on the journey is that right yeah absolutely um, and you are constantly learning I think you know, the way I, I said it, I don't know if I've said it on here yet or not, but I'm running an indie label. That's effectively what it is. So I've got to find a way to keep learning how to grow this business. Um, mm. 
and also just assessing what things things like rates are i mean that's a really awkward conversation to have yeah. with people but more and more i'm getting confident with saying actually this is my rate and then you you almost one thing that's worked for me is breaking down your costs and why this is the cost of a rehearsal room so we need to do a rehearsal before we play otherwise we'll suck um, so <laughs> you know that's 60 quid so, and then okay so this is the travel cost this is what it costs for me to bring the whole lineup um, these are the costs of the people playing for me mm. and this is what I will need um, and so when you do that kind of thing it kind of just normalizes business a little bit more with people yeah. and saying actually this is a real thing for me this is a proper um, it's a limited company um, and this is how it works um, does that answer your question yeah, that yeah you absolutely yeah I mean knowing your worth is so key and I think artists feel afraid to ask for that because you, you're just time, yeah. yeah you're you're saying this you know this is what what I'm worth like speaking that out um, is it and again a lot of artists who would be signed to a label would have somebody doing that conversation on their behalf. So the yeah. fact that we have to be all of these things as an independent artist, one of the things that is difficult. Um, I wanted to talk to you as well. Like one of the things that I've loved seeing you go from strength to strength on is your rollout in your album campaigns is so smooth. Um, it's really well done when you, you tease out the singles that you feel on a journey. It doesn't, it never feels like it's too much, like it's saturated, but you feel engaged. How, um, did you learn that and how do you approach that um, I know you've got your album coming out in April uh, just Thanks tell us time. about <laughs> um, uh, how do how do you now approach that you know at the start of the year or even as a cycle what does that look like for you um, you probably need to be 18 months ahead of yourself I think if you're much more than that it's a bit overwhelming um, but I, I find it, I am a planner naturally, so I enjoy like making up plans. My problem is executing those plans. So I'll have <laughs> these massive plans and I just feel like, oh man, I feel so overwhelmed now. <laughs> um, and then never do half of them. Um, so I've worked out what works for me and what works for me is not what will work for everyone. But for me, I still find doing a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for an album is gonna be easier than doing a Kickstarter campaign to release three singles um, I just don't think my crowd buy into that enough right. to see the value of a single because a single cannot be put on physical that easily anymore um, so for me while physical music is not where it was it's still there and it is a part of the market that I think we can't neglect yeah. um, so I've really tried to base my whole thing on focusing on what products can I give people okay. um, so the album Kickstarter is I never really earn enough for what I need, but it's a really good push in the right direction to do the studio thing properly. Um, and then it's just about, okay, how long do I need? When is the right time of year to do a Kickstarter campaign? You do not want to be doing it in December or January. Um, you know, finding that time where it's going to span over two paydays. Um, so the end of the month and the end of the next month, beginning of the following month, so five weeks instead of four weeks is quite a key thing for me. Okay. Um, and then really building up to that as a campaign as itself. So for me, like an album release is about um, raising the money. That's the first part of the release. The studio, that's the second part of the release. The um, content, that's the third, videos, etc., cetera, um, and your socials. And then your release slash post-release. Um, and if you get that stuff lined up right and you give yourself enough time. So I did a whole photo shoot just for the Kickstarter campaign. Um, 
rebra- slightly rebranded some stuff, you know, because it was a really good chance to create momentum and you're constantly looking to create or recreate momentum. Mm. Um, and yeah, so we recorded in June. Re- so just to give a timeline, if that helps, um, Kickstarter was April, I think, into May. Pre-production was June. First tracking with drums and bass was July. Recording the rest September because festivals. Um, then we missed a deadline slightly, so we had to go back in the studio in October and a little bit in November. But by then we'd already mastered two of the lead singles, and so and then the singles we were going to release in Christmas, but then we decided to not do that because why compete when you can have January where no one's trying to release a Christmas <laughs> single out. Um, and I'm not much of a fan of Christmas singles anyway, personally, it's just me. So um, January, February, March, April, boom, album, and then probably a single post-album as well. Right. And I, and I again, that's something I've seen you do. Like I've seen other artists make the mistake of, phew, it's out now. Just but, chuck it out there. Yeah, but servicing it afterwards, having those acoustic versions, yeah. obviously the touring, but also, you know, like you say, releasing another single. Mm. Um, that's so important, isn't it? Yeah, and I think also, like, one thing I learned, we did a video, a stop-motion video that took a year to film because we had to do it in seven sittings, and I had an accident in the middle of it all, and so I couldn't be filmed for, like, months. Um, so it was really frustrating because this, this video that was meant to be released a year before was finally being released. What I didn't realise was it was a genius plan, um, completely not thought up by me, <laughs> um, because it was content, and so... Now I'm not so worried about releasing a music video on the day of the release of the single. Yeah. We've got like a single out now, which there's a video waiting for the right person to the right YouTube channel to release it with me so that then there's hype around that single twice over. Right. And I think as a, we tend to, as indies, look at major artists and major label artists and think we should do it like them. How they do it, yeah. But there's no rules in our industry as independents and I think... We, we get to create the rules and I love that because then we can, well, if I release my single twice over, is once aud- with audio and once with video, is that not a problem? That gets, surely that gets more traction than just a one big hit. Yeah, so good. So, so much advice there. Do you, even as you're saying this, Pete, look back and go, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've learned. Do you are you aware of how much you've learned in you know the like? I know there's those scary moments, probably still weekly. Mm. But are you aware of how much you've accumulated? Um, yeah and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think when I look at people at the beginning of their journey, um, I just want to be like, yeah, don't don't bother with that. I don't you know? I did something stupid a couple of years back and um, just researched loads of record stores to put my music and I'm like why do I bother with that that's just really <laughs> dumb um, so yeah I mean I'm still like I've got so much to learn but I do feel like I know what I don't want to do and that's really helpful and I've learned from a few big mistakes you know where I've spent money where I shouldn't have done or bought gear when I should have invested in merch or something like that that's another thing I'd say just buy don't don't just get the best gear get like gear that's going to serve you well but is not necessarily the highest end and then spend your money on things like merch where you can get money back and then mm. sink that into other stuff I mean you kind of did one then but I was going to say you know as we as we draw to a close could you give us like one thing to just do if there's one thing you should do do this definitely do and one thing to definitely not do um, get a mailing list 
like I know that sounds outdated in our current culture but like people still receive emails and then when you've got on a mailing list learn how to write really good copy um, and say one thing not a newsletter but one thing um, that's one of the things that's changed so much for me because you have control of your mailing list and while like it's great to learn about algorithms and all that sort of stuff actually having that secure core you know your fan base is going to be lots of different like what's that circle thing where the uh, the circle that goes out um the ripple effect yes, or whatever you might yeah call yeah it. um you know your fans are going to be like that some are just going to be casual observers some are going to be hardcore like following every move that you make um but more of your hardcore fans will be on your mailing list mm. and they're really essential for your success i think something i wouldn't do um in a strange way, I'd probably play live less. I probably played too many bad gigs too much of the time um, and didn't identify early enough. Actually, this is not helping my career. It was just, I look busy, therefore I'm doing well. Um, right. Busyness is not good necessarily. Um, it's about playing the right gigs. And I know when you're starting out, you want to play live as much as possible. But I'm saying like when you've gone beyond that and maybe you've done your first release or your EP or whatever, um, or you've released a string of singles, then that's the time to really think, okay, so where does my music really translate well? And sometimes that might be something smaller, but with a more in intensive audience, like a house gig. Like sometimes you will connect far better with people who are gonna become more long-term fans by doing something smaller, but better. So. Yeah, try and find your own way, really. So good. You've given us so many gems. Thank you so oh, much. Thanks. thanks for having me. Um, before you go, Pete, just tell us um, a bit more about Period Park. We've, we've heard your journey as an artist, but just tell us, um, anyone who hasn't looked you up yet, what, how would you describe your sound? Sure. And then please don't go without telling us about the album, when it drops and where we can find you online. Yeah, I'd probably call it indie pop slash alt pop kind of music. Um, someone once said, like the other day it's the 80s meets 2020 so that's a, i'll take that um and music you can find me just search pyramid park and you'll find me on youtube i vlog every week on there um and also obviously spotify all the socials etc great and the album oh yeah <laughs> of course um not an island is the title and it will be out on the 24th of april brilliant we will put links to all of that uh, underneath the podcast um, Pete thank you so much for sharing your wisdom um, we're going to be championing you along the way and uh, so I'm looking much. forward to seeing you live later on this year as well yeah, thank, thank you. you and don't forget to sign up to our mailing list where you'll receive a free 10 day guide especially designed to inspire and equip independent music artists with some really useful practical and inspirational resources sign up at www.iamindependent.co.uk for more great content from i am independent find us on social media at we are independent artists check out our spotify playlist for new music from independent artists search we love independent music <laughs>